Uh, at this point, I want to just invite you guys, if you guys have a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses, uh, looking at verses 25 through 35. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and pull that out. Uh, start turning there. We're going to read together. Uh, we'll pray, and then we'll, we'll dive into it uh, from there. So uh, Luke uh, chapter 2, verses 25 through uh, 35. Says this, verse 25. Says, at that time, uh, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him uh, that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day, the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel." Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Let's go ahead and pray. Well, Father, I, uh, man, I, I thank you for this time that we get to, uh, man, as, a, as a body, as a group of believers, just gather here together. Look at your word, read your word, hear uh, what you've said through the author, Luke, to us. God, I just ask that your word would move in power this morning, that as we read it, that it wouldn't just be uh, words on a page, but, Father, that it would, it would change us, it would affect us. God, I pray that your spirit would use it this morning. Use your word that's sharper than, uh, than any sword that, that breaks through bone and marrow. God, to form us more into the image of Jesus for your glory and for our good. And if you guys are willing this morning, uh, just ask you to, to pray for yourself. Pray that God would teach you something this morning. And then if you could pray for me, pray that, uh, that what I say would be helpful, would be clear, uh, would ultimately make God look awesome. Well, Father, we love you and uh, we trust you. Uh, please use this time and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Uh, well, uh, well, I got pooped on uh, about a couple months back. Uh, it was the first time this had ever happened, um, and uh, we were over at uh, my sister's brother's house, him and his wife, they just had their first baby, uh, he's just about six months old now, and uh, my, my wife and I are actually are expecting our first coming in May, um, yeah, which is exciting, I know, I'm looking forward to that, um, little baby girl we found out, um, which is great because then I can kind of gear up my like talk of whenever boys come over and get a bat, you know, hold on to it. Um, I'm excited about that. Uh, anyway, though, we're over at uh, my wife's brother's house, and, and they've got their, uh, their son out, and everybody's passing him around, and, and I'm just sitting on the couch, as I usually do, just reading, um, relaxing, and uh, John, my brother, my sister's, uh, my, my wife's brother, uh, 
his wife says, hey, maybe it's time for, uh, for Andy to go over and, and meet you know, Uncle Dane. I'm reading my book, and I was like, I guess so, okay, fine. And, uh, and I'm sitting there, and they, they bring him over, and he's cute. Like, don't get me wrong, he's great. And he's just kind of sitting on my lap, and, and everybody, it just seems like everybody else is just really excited about this moment. I'm like, I mean, this is, this is cool. I liked what I was reading, but this is fine too. Um, I know, I sound so heartless. Um, but I'm sitting there, and all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, this kid just lets out the loudest fart I have ever heard in my life. And apparently when little kids fart, it's cute, right? When adults fart, it's unacceptable. Uh, but he just lets out this massive fart, and everybody, his mother and Cleo, are just like laughing. I was like, oh, that was so funny. I was like, I guess, uh, I don't know, like whatever. And I kid you not, the very next moment, this smell and this sight come into picture at the same time. So I smell this thing. And then all of a sudden, there's this green liquid that's just like oozing out of his diaper onto my lap. And I was like, okay, that's not right. Like, this, this should not be happening like this. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, this is a bad deal. Like, somebody needs to come in and fix this right now, which is not what happened. Instead, what happened was uh, John's wife and everybody else there just saw it, and they just started laughing. They're just laughing. And they're just like, oh, that's so funny. I was like, no, it's not. This is not, this is very unfunny, actually. I'm sitting here just in this pile of poop with this little kid who just like doesn't seem to care, right? Just hopping up and down, smiling and laughing. And I'm sitting there just like waiting for somebody to do something. Just in this pile of poop. Now, eventually it all got worked out, right? But I tell you guys that story this morning because when I think about that, as, uh, as, as funny as that might be, um, and they looked at me, they're like, Dane, just get ready. This is what happens when you're a father. I was like, I know. I just want to p- delay that moment as long as possible, right? But I think of that story, and I think about it in terms of Christmas, which you might be thinking is kind of weird. Um, but the reason I think about it in terms of Christmas and kind of where we're at in the holiday season right now is I think, for maybe a lot of people in here, like Christmas is like this time of just like excitement and joy and fun and life, um, like a new baby coming into the world, right? Excitement. But to be honest, I think there's others of us in here that Christmas is not that. Because Christmas, in all of its festivities and all of its excitement and all of its fun and all the movies and the cookies and the songs and the dancing and all that stuff and presents, Christmas actually tends to bring up more, more hurt uh, than, than anything else. And whereas I think a lot of our culture, you know, depicts Christmas as like this awesome, awesome time, and we as Christians believe that as well. I think for many of us, maybe some of us at least in here, uh, Christmas is not that. Christmas is actually kind of like you're sitting there in a situation that you really don't want to be in, just kind of waiting for something to, to, to fix your situation. You're waiting for rescue. You're waiting to be brought out of the muck and the mire that you find yourself in. And maybe you've got other people around you that are there to rally with you and to comfort you, to be there with you in that pain and in that, that difficulty. But maybe you just find yourself surrounded by people around you, like I did on that fateful day, where it just doesn't seem like they're responding at all. Like they don't even really even notice. And so what I want to talk about this morning is how as Christians do we navigate Christmas? How can we think about Christmas when sometimes we find ourselves just waiting for 
rescue. And if you're taking notes, that's the first thing I want you to write down is, is that idea of just waiting for rescue. What do, we, what do we do in that moment? And I think the text we had this morning sheds a lot of light on that situation and brings a lot of hope for us in that situation. Because when we read the text in Luke 2 here, this is how Simeon's described this idea of waiting. Simeon is described as, as a man who's eagerly waiting for the Messiah. Luke 2.25 says, At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Simeon found himself in a place. He was faithfully following God, but recognized like we are in a position right now. We need rescue. There needs to be rescue. But it hadn't come yet because he was still eagerly waiting. The, the Greek word for that eagerly waiting literally means just like there's an expectation in your mind. There's a, there's a picture in your mind of how things should be and you're expecting a certain outcome. But what you're seeing is completely different. You're waiting for something to come about that's better than what you currently see right now. And I think as Christians, you can be faithfully following after Christ. You can be faithfully seeking to, to live how he's called you to live and to be the man or the woman that he's called you to be. And in this time, December uh, 25th and Christmas, you can find yourself at the dawn of the celebration of the coming of the Savior. And still find yourself feeling as though you're, you're still waiting to be rescued. Still waiting to be rescued, maybe from illness, maybe from depression, maybe from family dysfunction, maybe from loneliness. And Christmas is a time of waiting for you. I, I remember when uh, uh, I, I had an older sister, I've shared this before, but I had an older sister who, who passed away uh, a few years back. Um, and I remember, she passed away in, at the end of August um, of 2016, and I remember that first Christmas after she passed away was one of the most difficult Christmases we've ever experienced as a family. It was like Christmas, the holiday, just elevated the heartache that we felt. And it was hard to find any kind of sense of joy and delight and happiness in Christmas because what we saw was the fact that we had one less family member present. And it wasn't like they were a family member that was, they were going to come, like they were just off visiting somewhere else, that we were going to see them again. Like it was starkly felt by us that we've got one less person in the family that's, that's with us. And I think sometimes that's how, how Christmas can feel for Christians. And you hear people say, hey, but Jesus is here, we celebrate him. You're like, yes, I know, but that's not how I, that's not how I feel. I feel like I'm still waiting, waiting for rescue. And the thing that the text tells us here is that as real as the rescue is, because it is real, what I think Luke wants us to see here is that rescue doesn't always remove the sword. Rescue does not always remove the sword. It doesn't always remove that pain. Rescue doesn't always remove the sword. Look what uh, Simeon said to, to Mary in verses 33 through 35, both of, his, both of uh, Jesus' parents. He's saying that this son will bring about Israel's long-awaited rescue. It will happen, but it won't come without pain. It won't come without pain. He says Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. 
And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He he has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And this is what I want you to see. And a sword will pierce your very soul. Like he's talking to Jesus' parents there. He's saying, hey, this child is the one that we've been waiting for. He will bring rescue. He's the one that was spoken about back in Genesis that will come and will crush the head of the serpent. That rescue is coming, but it's not going to come without pain. That a sword will pierce your very soul. Soul. See, for Christians, rescue doesn't always mean the relief of pain. It doesn't always mean the relief of pain. It doesn't always mean that that illness gets healed. It doesn't always mean that dysfunction ceases. It doesn't always mean that loneliness evaporates. It does not always mean that. But here's what it does mean. And this is what Simeon draws attention to. This is what it does mean. It does always mean that there's hope. It always means that there is hope. Because look at how Simeon describes Jesus in verse 32. Simeon calls Jesus a light. He says he is a light. And that's interesting because uh, when I was a student um, at my church growing up, uh, every Halloween, uh, our church youth group uh, would build this uh, just elaborate maze uh, in the whole upstairs level of our church, all out of cardboard boxes, and they'd tape them all together where you had to like crawl through this cardboard maze, and they'd put cobwebs in there, and they would put like nasty spaghetti and all kinds of stuff. Um, and so they'd build this massive, massive Halloween maze, and they'd shut all the lights off on the upstairs floor. And so you'd come up the stairs, and you'd go through the door, and all of a sudden there's just this cardboard box that you have to crawl through. And you just crawled and crawled and crawled and crawled until you finally got through this thing. And as a little kid, I was really young when I first went through this, but this thing just terrified me. Because then you'd have some students as well, like, cut holes in the cardboard boxes and, like, reach their hand and, like, try to grab you as you were crawling through, which, again, freaked me out. But I remember that uh, after the whole event was over, I was able to go up there and, and see that maze, but this time all the lights in the upstairs were on. And I would, like, crawl through it again as all the lights were on. And it was so interesting because what that light did not do was it didn't take away the cobwebs. It didn't take away the nastiness of the spaghetti. It didn't take away any of the the spiders that were, the plastic spiders that were in there. They didn't put real spiders, plastic spiders. It didn't take any of that stuff away. But what it did do is it allowed me to see things as they really were. And it allowed me to see that there was an end to this whole tunnel. And that made all the difference. It didn't take away the discomfort but it gave me hope because all of a sudden I could see things as they actually were. And that's really what we get to celebrate at Christmas. We get to celebrate the dawning of an indestructible hope. A hope that cannot be shaken by our circumstances because at the end of the day, this child is the one who makes all the difference. 
This child is not just like any child. This child is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the one through whom creation came about by just a mere breath. He speaks and nature obeys. This child makes all the difference and he controls every single aspect of my life. Nothing occurs to me that does not first go, go through the loving and powerful hand of my Savior. That's what we get to celebrate in Christmas. We get to celebrate the dawning of an indestructible hope that comes in the form of a baby because he ultimately controls everything in my life. He controls it all. But the thing in the text is that that hope, it's not just for, for me. It's not just for, for you. Because what we see is that God often uses our swords as signposts of salvation for others. God often uses the swords in our life, that pain, that difficulty, those trials we go through. He often uses those swords as signposts of salvation for others. Look at verses 33 or 30 through 32. Because in Simon's prophecy, he, he's prophesying not just to the people of Israel. He's prophesying that this rescue will come for the nations. In verse 30, he says, I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. You see, God's desire is never to waste a sword in your life. God doesn't waste hurt. He doesn't waste suffering in your life. God uses suffering for his purposes, and he calls us to be a part of that. It was interesting, after, uh, after Sage passed away, um, if you've ever had someone you cared about pass away, you know uh, shortly thereafter a lot of stuff just starts coming to light that maybe you didn't know before. Um, and so a lot of Facebook posts and, and letters she had written and things that she had uh, recorded uh, kind of came to light that I, I at least wasn't aware of. I know my, my parents weren't aware of a lot of it, but one particular uh, Facebook post that she had made uh, was really interesting because she was responding to a, a, another uh, friend of hers who had uh, cystic fibrosis. And, um, and this friend was talking to her about how can you possibly believe in, in a good and loving God uh, when, when you've had to suffer this much in your life? And it was, uh, it was really interesting because she responds, I'm just going to read it, but she responds and says this, she says, you know, I'm often asked how I can believe in God when he has allowed me to suffer so much from cystic fibrosis. And the simplest answer to that is, is that I don't believe God caused me to have this disease. Sin is the reason I have cystic fibrosis, but God has empowered me to live with it. He takes a bad thing, which is the result of humanity's sin, and he uses it for a greater good. Suffering isn't meaningless. It serves a purpose if we allow God to work in our lives and we open our hearts to him. For all that I have suffered in this life, God has blessed me at every opportunity, and I am grateful. She goes on and says, I am certain that God has a plan, that he is in control, and that he works all things for the good of those who love him. I rely strongly on these promises, and I've seen firsthand how he is at work in my life. There is nothing that I have suffered that hasn't ultimately served a greater purpose I choose to look at each challenge as part of his plan 
for my life. He has never once let me down. In fact, he has blessed me abundantly at every opportunity. And she says, that doesn't mean that I don't get scared or feel pain or get angry or even despair at times. I do feel all those things, but I always come back to thankfulness because the blessings outweigh everything else. God will use our sufferings for his purposes. You see it all throughout scripture. God never wastes a sword. And that doesn't mean that we don't still feel like we're stuck waiting. Stuck in just like that couch of poop where you're just sitting there like wondering, will anybody do anything about this? Anybody fix this right now? Sometimes God's like, no, 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 I I want, I want you to sit there, but it's not meaningless. It serves a purpose because I've got a far bigger plan than maybe you could possibly imagine. Sometimes we do have to wait. Sometimes we do. And it's okay to be scared in that waiting. It's okay to, to not like that waiting. It's okay to, to feel sadness in that waiting. That waiting can be really, really difficult. And one of the things that I want to say is that waiting can look different at different stages of, of your life. That waiting looks different from when you're a kid to when maybe you're a student to maybe when you're an adult to when you're, uh, when you're getting into your 60s and 70s and 80s. It might look different in different stages of life. And, uh, and I've been uh, talking up here primarily what does it look like for, for students and adults. But, uh, but right now, uh, I, want to, I want to welcome up uh, Josh, Pastor Josh. Uh, for us, because he's going to talk to us more about what does that look like for waiting for, uh, for our kids. So let's give it up for Pastor Josh uh, as he comes up here. Uh. Hey, everyone. So good morning. I'm Josh Longmire. I'm the children's pastor here at LifePoint, and I have the fun joy of going after Dane after he gave that amazing message. So y'all stick with me as I go through mine. Remember, I'm teaching mine towards kids, so it's a little different. Um, also, PG, if you're in here, uh, I think there's an emergency outside. I don't want you to compare Dane's to mine because Dane's was really good. Um, before we get to the fun part of the message, I want to hit on something that Dane said um, that's personal to me um, in my life. So when I was a kid, I lived in a household that did not believe in God. Uh, we did not have traditional family values that come from the church. We did not believe in uh, that process, um, my family was full of pain, um, a lot of abuse, a lot of neglect, a lot of things that are um, still with me today. But when I was a kid, I was mad at everyone, including God. And I didn't even believe in God at the time because I didn't know who he was, but I was mad at him because I was mad at everyone. And as I've gotten older, I've realized that that pain that I got as a child has given me so many opportunities to spread the gospel through those experiences. I've had opportunities to talk to people that otherwise would not have been able to talk to because of my personal experiences. So as we think about those issues, as we think about the swords in our lives, as we think about the hurts that we have, just remember that God gives us those sometimes to spread the gospel. God gives us those sometimes to have that conversation with our neighbor. Um, also, this time of year is hard. Um, as you can imagine, being um, in a household like that, there's either one or two things that happen. Either you get really close to those people that are around you, your brothers and sisters, 
or you don't. And unfortunately, in my family, we were the ones that didn't. So I don't have a traditional family unit. And so holidays are sometimes hard for me because I don't have that family that surrounds me. I know that a lot of you in here, or some of you in here, most likely feel that same way. And if you do, I want to give you a verse that really keeps me grounded during this time of year, and mostly any time that I actually feel um, conflicted in my life. So Zephaniah 3.17. I know most of you probably don't spend your quiet times in Zephaniah, um, but it is an amazing book in the Old Testament. And it says, The Lord your God is with you. He is a mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer punish you. Instead, he will sing over you with joy. You know, the ESV version of the Bible says, he will quiet you by his love. And in these times that we deal with these issues and we have these issues around us, that's what I come back to. God's love is so profound on my life that he quiets me by his love. And it just gives me solace in these times. Um, one of the ways, and you're going to think I say this because I'm a children's pastor, but one of the ways I think God gives us joy this time of year is through kids. And I was going to do a really funny bit on farting and pooping and diarrhea, but thanks, Dane, wherever you went. Kill that moment. Um, I'm the kid's pastor. He's not. Um, but I do want all the kids in the auditorium to stand up. If you're a kid in the big house, will you stand up? If you have permission, there you go, from your parents, y'all can come on the stage. And we're going to have a special message for y'all right here. So you can come sit right here with me, and we're going to have a special message for y'all. Watch out for the communion table. But y'all can come out here. You sit on the stage. That's it. Perfect. Hey, Zit. How's everyone doing? Y'all good? Awesome. Man, there's a lot of y'all. I like this. This is what a children's pastor likes to see. Thank you, students. Um, how's everyone doing? Are y'all good? How many of y'all are excited for Christmas? Yeah. Me too. Honestly, me too. Uh, how many of y'all cannot wait to open your presents? What if I told you you had to wait a year longer? You'd be fine? You'd be fine? I would not be fine. I would not be fine. Ten years is a long time. So what if I told you you had to wait a really long time for the greatest gift ever? Let's say I said you're going to get the greatest gift of all time and you had to wait a really long time. Would y'all want to do that? That's a good question. What is the greatest gift? We'll get to that in a second. Um, so the people of Israel had to wait 400 years for Jesus, the greatest gift. And in Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, in Malachi 3.1, the Bible says, the Lord who rules over all of us says, I will send my messenger, and that messenger is Jesus. He will prepare my way for me. Then suddenly the Lord you are looking for will come into his temple. The messenger of the covenant will come. He is the one you long for. Now that's kind of hard to understand, but what it's saying basically is, God's going to send Jesus for us as this great messenger. But the people of Israel had to wait 400 years. Do you know how long 400, year, 400 years are? Yeah, four centuries. Perfect, Tristan. It's also, so if you, let me put this in perspective. So I'm 32, and to y'all, I'm probably really old, right? 
Okay, well, we're not going to repeat that. Um, <laughs> so I'm 32. To get to 400 years, you would need 13 of me. So 13 of me would fill this stage. And so that's how long 400 years are. Can you imagine waiting for a gift for 400 years? You can? I cannot. When I was a kid, I had zero patience. And if you talk to most of the adults that know me and the staff and my staff, I still have zero patience. I have no patience. You have no patience? I don't either. I don't. I've gotten a little better with my age, but when I was a kid, it was the hardest thing in the world for me to be wait for anything. And on Christmas morning, anytime we had birthdays or Christmas, I had this scenario on how I knew what I was going to get for Christmas. So I'd walk up to a gift, kind of like this. By the way, it's a polar bear. Polar bears are awesome. I walked up to a gift like this, and I would look at it from every single angle. And then I would shake it. You know, you get the good shake going. Get, you, know, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you get that good shake, trying to figure out what it is, check the texture, check, check the size, get a good look at it. And then I knew exactly what it was, always. And it was either Legos or fire trucks, because those were my jam when I was a kid. To be honest, they're still my jam. I, if you go to my office, you will find Legos. And if I could, yes. And if you could fit a fire truck in my office, I would have a true fire truck in there. But it won't fit. I have a lot of polar bears, though. Um, but no matter what was inside the box, I knew exactly what it was. And when I opened it, it was always socks or sweaters. They are the worst gift to open on Christmas. Y'all feel me? Oh, it is. Exactly. You don't want to. You don't want that. <laughs> so, when I was a kid, though, they were the worst. Hold on. When they were, they were the worst. Now, as an adult, I, I would, I would love to open a gift that has sweaters or socks in it. I hate being cold, and I bet. If it was really cold outside, like 20 degrees, and we went out there, and you didn't have a sweater and socks on, you would give up any gift in the world in order to have a sweater or socks. You say no, but you, I, bet, I bet we could. I bet we could. You know, sometimes the situations we find ourselves in are not necessarily the situations we want. Sometimes you want that fire truck and you get socks. Sometimes the situations you're in are not the best. Sometimes at school, you run into situations that aren't, the, aren't your favorite. But you know what? God can use those situations to bring glory to his kingdom. Just like Dane said, there are times that you guys, as kids, can really affect the kingdom of God. You know, uh, a lot of people are calling for a revival, you know, you know Jesus to spread throughout the generations. That's going to start with you guys. You are going to be the next generation that's really going to be able to affect change. And you look at me like you're crazy because you want Christmas gifts, but it's true. Um... How many of you have seen this version of Jesus' birth? So this is the manger. Let me pull out Jesus. Hold on. And you have Jesus. And you have, y'all have it. And you have Mary. And you have the angel. Don't forget Joseph. You have the wise men who weren't there for a couple of years, so we're going to put them back in there. Um, you have the sheep, and you have the donkeys. You have the camels. All of y'all have probably seen this, right? It's out front. Yeah. But when you look at it, it doesn't look like that bad of a situation, does it? It looks kind of cozy and nice and, you know, not that bad. But if you think about what it's like, how many of y'all have ever been to a barn? Yeah. Are barns this clean? No. They're never. They have poop like Dane was talking about all over. It's a stable. 
So when we think about Jesus, we need to think about the situation. And no one would have thought this situation would lead to a good thing. Think about it. The people of Israel thought there was going to be a king coming. Do you think they would want, they think they thought that their king would be born in a stable? No. No. Because it would be like in a palace. In a palace, absolutely. This, what made this day ordinary was that God came to earth. So this situation is like an ordinary situation. But it's because Jesus was involved that it made it extraordinary. And as you think about your day, as you think about Christmas and all the gifts you get, huh? Jesus was a miracle. And as you think about all your gifts this Christmas, don't forget about Jesus. Jesus Jesus was the most important. Yes, the greatest gift of all. The gift that Malachi was talking about, that messenger. He was the first gift he would ever give. Absolutely, the greatest gift. And so as you're thinking about Christmas, remember that the true reason that we celebrate Christmas is not the presents that you get, which I know are amazing, and I know you're excited about them, but they are about Jesus. All right? All right, I want to tell you all something, but I need, I need parents to um, stop listening for a second. This is a secret, so y'all don't listen to me. As I, so your parents aren't listening, so I need everyone to listen to me, okay? Is everyone listening? Can y'all hear me? All right. Well, don't cry on people. That's, you can still hear me. I'm on the microphone. Okay. Don't forget, all right? Christmas is also for your parents. I saw that face. Christmas is also about your parents, okay? And your siblings. And if you haven't gotten, if you haven't gotten your siblings anything or your parents anything, when you get home, take the time to write them a letter, draw a picture, do something. Show them that you care about them because Christmas is as much about them as it is about you. It's about family. And this is a great time to show your family that you love them, okay? Now, I want you all to do me a favor when you go back to your seats, Okay? You listening? Yeah. Everyone hear me? Yeah. Everyone listening? Yeah. When you go back to your seats, I want you to hug your mom and dad. Don't give me that look. I saw that look. And tell them you love them. Whoever's here with you, just give them a big hug and say I love you. Because today, Christmas, hey, stop it. Christmas is about family. And today you can show your love to them, okay? Okay. All right, y'all go back to your seats. Hey, and hug your parents. Because so everyone can hear me. Okay, so parents, I'm going to bring you back in now. Y'all can listen to me again. I know y'all tuned me out there for that whole thing, which is understandable. Um, but I want to tell y'all something that's going to come up in a second. So Dane's about to come back up here and finish out our series, our message series for the day. Um, but I want to let you know that's something that's going to come a little later. You know, here at LifePoint, we love families. We love you as a family, and we love you individually. And we want to present a time where you guys get to show your kids what it means to do the Lord's Supper. And so for the kids out there, you're about to get to experience something new that you haven't probably experienced before. And what it basically means from your point of view is you're showing the world that you're on God's team. That's all communion is. From a simple point of view, that's all communion is. Now, if you don't know what that means to be on God's team, Go home tonight and talk to your parents. And if you don't feel comfortable doing that, just do it anyway. Or you can come talk to me. And you can come talk to me, both ways. So um, Dane's about to come back. I want to pray for us, and then Dane's going to come back up and finish out the message series. So let's pray real quick. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the children of the church and their joyful hearts. 
today and what's going to happen in a few days, God. We love that we're part of a church that puts families first. We're grateful um, to be able to serve you in this way. God, we're so grateful for your sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And over the next few days, let us remember that Christmas is about you and nothing else. You are the reason for the season. Let us not lose sight of that with everything else that's going on through the craziness and the gifts. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. See, stuff like that makes me excited to be a dad, right? It's exciting, yeah. Most of y'all are like, Dane, that's not how it really works. I know. Um, kind of bring us back in here. So, again, for Christmas, a lot of times, feels like we're just kind of stuck still waiting, right? And we've talked about how uh, waiting and doesn't mean that the rescue hasn't come. It just means that the rescue doesn't always remove the sword. And this morning, what I want to encourage you guys in it's like we talked about how when Jesus came, he came to bring rescue to the nations. And I think every single one of us, I'd be willing to place money on this, have, has had some kind of suffering in their life. And this morning I want to challenge you, how can my sword be used as a sign for others? How can my sword be used as a sign for others? Like Josh talked about how uh, the difficulty of, uh, of, uh, of holidays and family life for him has allowed him to be able to use those experiences to bring comfort to other people, to share the gospel with other people. If you're taking notes, how can my sword be used as a signpost for others? The last story I kind of want to give you guys. So this right here is a plastic straw. Okay, I grabbed that out of my kitchen before I left. And this is not any kind of political statement on straws, okay? I really care less. But I bring this straw up for, for to kind of illustrate uh, a point. I, uh, before my sister passed away, I, I had conversations with her about CF, and I was, she was seven years old than I was. Um, but I remember asking her one time, like, what, you know, what is that, what is that like uh, to have cystic fibrosis? And uh, her, her response really, really kind of crushed me, but she said this. She said, it's a lot like if you, if you take a straw and you're just stuck breathing through a straw your entire life. You take a straw and you're just you're stuck breathing through that your entire life. And sure enough, I, I I went home and I found a straw and just and three, four, five breaths really isn't that bad, but when you start thinking about that for nonstop all the time, the shortness of breath you automatically just kind of start feeling like, man, that, that crushed me. And that was her sword. That was her sword. Michaela Hollywood is a real lady. The woman who suffers from muscular dystrophy, she wrote an article in Huffington Post back in 2018 on the topic of this whole straw political thing, whatever. Um, but what she said was very interesting to me, and the reason why I wanted to include it this morning, because she said... <clears throat> In fact, in a world without straws, I'm not entirely sure if I'd even be alive. 
She says, I use them to eat and I use them to drink. I live with a rare muscle-wasting muscle condition which renders me unable to scratch my nose without help. I definitely cannot lift a glass of water, a cup of tea, or a bottle of juice to my mouth and drink normally. Even if I could, I'd likely choke, causing the drink to get into my lungs and causing an aspiration pneumonia. I even use straws if I have a bad cough, blowing bubbles into liquid to give my lungs the workout and strength they need. You see, this was, this was, Sage's, this was Sage's sword, but it was this woman's salvation. And God will do that. He'll use swords in your life as a signpost of salvation to other people. Much like Josh's story, when I worked in college ministry, we had a, we had a woman volunteer with us who'd suffered incredibly in, uh, in, her, in her younger years in a family that was both verbally and physically abusive. And, and we'd have students in the ministry that were in the midst of very similar circumstances. And she, apart from anybody else on our team, was able to engage with that student in a way that none of us could. Able to empathize with that student in a way that none of us really could. She understood where that student was coming from in a way that we just couldn't understand. God will use your swords as signposts of salvation to other people. And this morning, I just want to encourage you guys to think, how can, God, how, how do you desire to use this sword in my life? You're not surprised by this. You're not shocked by this. How do you want to use it? Because it's a global rescue that Jesus has brought. It's a global rescue that his birth has enacted. How might God want to use you to be a part of that this morning? That's the question I want to challenge you guys with and leave you guys with this morning. And we as a staff want to, uh, want to give you all some time to think about that this morning. To, to, to pray about that this morning. We're going we're gonna to do that, like Josh said, in the context of communion. Because what greater display, think about it, what greater display is there of God using a sword to bring salvation than the death and the resurrection of Jesus? And so in a second, all of the ushers are going to come up here, um, and they're going to, they're going to begin to, to uh, hand out bread and juice to you all. Before they do that, I, I want to just take a quick minute and kind of explain a little bit of what we're going to be, uh, what we're doing here. Uh, see, in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 26, Paul talks in detail about this, about what we're going to do here in a few minutes. And he talks to us about primarily what the purpose of it is and what we should be thinking about as we are engaging in this. And Paul says that we do this for two reasons. Two reasons. What did the text say? Paul says that, number one, the reason we do this is to remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for all of us. We're going to read the text here in a second. I want you to look for these reasons. But number one, he says we do it to remember. To remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And then secondly, like Josh said, we, we do it to announce publicly that our lives belong to him. Like Jesus said, that, or like Josh said, that, that we're on Jesus' team. That when we do this, we are proclaiming and telling people we are on Jesus' team. We do it to remember and we do it to proclaim. And this is important to know because as Paul is writing this letter to the Corinthians, he, he makes it clear that he's writing to a group of people that have placed their faith in Jesus that would call themselves Christians, that would say, I want my entire life to be about Christ. That's what, that's what I want. 
And, and I just want to say that if that's not you this morning, if you're kind of uncertain or you just don't quite know what to think about Jesus, maybe you're, you're kind of in, in, in a place where it's like, man, he might be God, he might be who he said he was, he might not be, I, I don't really know, I'm still kind of wrestling with that. You might be someone who's like, he's not, he's just some dude just like every other teacher throughout history was. And I want you to hear me say this, that if that's you, then I want you to know you're, you're welcome here. You're more than welcome here. But I want to encourage you to let this bread and this juice pass you by. And that's not to, to be uh, meanly exclusive or anything like that. It's, it's for this basic reason, is that uh, this meal, much like, uh, much like my wedding ring, symbolizes a, a life commitment that I've made. It proclaims to the world that, that I have done away with singleness. I have done away with every other single woman in this world, and I've chosen one to be about. And that's what we're doing in communion. We are saying I've chosen one person that I'm going to center my life around. There's nothing salvific about this meal. Taking it or not taking it doesn't make you look more favorably in God's eyes or less favorably, favorably in his eyes. It doesn't inch you closer to heaven. The thief on the cross died without ever taking communion. And Jesus looked at him and said, you'll be with me today in paradise. And we do this this morning as personal remembrance and as public proclamation. And so this morning, and parents, again, like Josh said, I want you to feel free to exercise your own discretion there with your kids. But this, this morning, if that's not you, I just want to encourage you to simply think about the offer that Jesus has made. Now, he said, I've come to have, a, you may have life and have it to the full. Growing up, I, I thought Christianity was a ladder. I thought it was just, hey, be a good kid and you'll get higher on the ladder. God will like you more. When you mess up and do the wrong thing, you're kind of back down on the bottom of the ladder. So have another quiet time. You'll get back up there. Read some more scripture. You'll get back up there. Memorize some more. You'll get back up there. That it was this ladder of constant up and down, up and down, up and down. And that's not what Jesus sees. Like, I'm not a ladder. I'm life. And I'm the life you desperately need. And I don't ask you to clean yourself up first or get your act together first. No, no, you, you just come as you are. You come to me as you are, and I will make you new. And that offer is open to every single person. That if you feel that desire inside this morning, you're like, I'm done doing life my way, I want to do it his way, then all he asks you is to speak to him and tell him, God, I, I, I want it your way. I want to do things your way. You have my life. It's yours. And if, you're, if you've never done that in your life before, I'd encourage you to because it's the best decision you will ever make. It's the best decision you will ever make. Well, Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 24, he says, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. And on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. And then he broke it in peace and he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so we take and we eat. Verse 25, he says, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people 
in agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you announce the Lord's death until he comes. And so we take and we drink. Please pray with me. Father, I thank you for this day that you've given us. Lord, again, that we get to gather here this morning. That we get to look into your word, Father. I ask that your spirit would guide us. That many times Christmas can be a difficult time of year. That it tends to highlight the the pain and the sorrow that we've experienced in the past. Maybe that we still continue to experience, Father. And it can mean that we are stuck in a time of waiting wishing that you would just do something, you would fix something, you would change something. And Lord, you're not oblivious to that, you're not surprised by that. But you, like a good father, say to us, listen, I have this thing under control. I have it under control. And I see you in your suffering and I see you in your, in your trial. Lord, I ask that you would comfort us this morning, that you would bring to mind, Father, how we can use the trials and the sufferings that you've ordained to to show salvation to those around us, to point others to life in your name, because no matter how difficult the suffering, no matter how difficult the trial, it is never without hope. It is never meaningless. There is always purpose in the pain. And sometimes our greatest pain can become our greatest ministry. So I pray, Father, that you would speak comfort to us this morning, that you would remind us of just the indestructible hope, the indestructible joy that came at Christmas as you took on flesh to dwell among us. Emmanuel, God with us. Praise be to you, Father. We love you and we trust you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.